All right, John chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 25. Thanks for playing, Larry. Thank you. No, you go ahead. No, I appreciate your playing. Thanks, Larry. Um, John 14, starting verse 25. Oh, no, oh, stop right here. Are you doing, are you doing any better? Good. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, he tore his biceps and had to have surgery on that. I avoid that by not having any biceps. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> All this I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Um, I, what, what a gift. What a gift. Let's look at that in different levels. I'm going to go to the last bit first. Wouldn't you love to have remembered everything Jesus said for three and a half years or four? It was, it was in that ballpark area of time. You remember it all? Now, that's pretty important because they would have then been correctly quoting Jesus where they went, which means the books being written were putting his real words in there. You, you'll find people that'll act like, well, the Bible was written so far after the things happened. Not, not necessarily true there, but they'll say it. So a lot of stories got jumbled up. Not really. They remembered their stories and they repeated their stories. Plus, in their culture, re remembering, recalling, and reciting stories was huge. Now, this not so much in our culture because stories are rather d disposable here. You know, a movie comes in, then it goes away. Uh, books come in, then they fall off the list. They did not have so many stories as to allow that to happen. Uh, even in the Celtic lands, the bards would learn the stories word by word because they didn't want any of these words to fail. Well, the Jews were very, very big on story. And the idea that, uh, the, rather, the, um, the offer given by God to them you'll remember everything I've said to you is huge. Now we need to go to the first part of that lesson. I'd wondered whether you'd run to the hospital or something. And so um, it says advocate. Some versions will say comforter. Um, the word paraclete applies here. Oh, you, you got a mic. Good. Is it on? All right. No, it is not. John, would you push a button for him or if you... And we have nobody up there, but somebody is going now. He's headed that way. So I want you to think for a while as we stall. The, uh, he'll, I'll let you know when he's up there playing with it, okay? Appreciate him going. Uh, paraclete, uh, I was told uh, early on, was a definition of the person that would walk beside you, that would help you carry your load or the like. He didn't take the elevator. He took the stairs. <laughs> Don't have one. All, All right. right. Yes. There you go. Thank you. Now, <laughs> the idea of the paraclete, which is in 1 John 1, 9, that's the specific use of it, is that of a, of a, a lawyer that's defending you and standing beside one to be in your place representing you. Um, okay. And uh, that's... It, 
there are some other things, but anyway, that's the principal idea. Okay. The, um, someone helping you, a comforter speaking. For, now, we know that the Holy Spirit does certainly speak for us in, in a particular instance. What is that instance? Do you remember? Well, in words cannot be uttered. Romans words. 8, 24. When we have emotions that we can't put into words, the Holy Spirit puts them into words and takes them to God. That's quite a blessing, isn't it? Yes. I, was, I was struggling during the Lord's Supper this morning, not with faith, but with trying to find a way to say what I wanted to say. And it's, it's a quite comfort, quite a comfort to know that he's okay with this. He gets it. Um, and by the way, I, I, I'd like to share that there are times when I'm trying to pray that my brain just will not put the sentences together the way I want them to in case you ever go through that. You need to know it doesn't go away when you've been working for God for 40 years, right? Yes, uh, in both extremes, when we're in a state of ecstasy beyond what we're able to do, the Holy Spirit praises God, and when we're in the depth, when our tongue is at the top of our mouth, we can't say a word in sorrow. I often say when we're sitting in an emergency room after a major accident, there are two or three days, and the Holy Spirit has been praying for us beyond what we were even able to say. Yeah, uh, excellent. And I like the way you put also the happy bits, because I remember when my son was born, um, we, Cammie can't, couldn't have much in the way of children. We had endometriosis and a difficult road. And so we had a daughter, and six years later, she's pregnant again. And this is back before the days when they could, you know, go, oh, it's a boy, and his name will be, you know, all that. So the, the stuff was very rudimentary. Um, and they would eventually show you a little grainy uh, picture where I couldn't pick anything out, and they couldn't pick much, but they said, we think he's in there. So whenever, when he was born and it was a boy, that kind of overwhelmed me. It's a thing in our family. Um, my son is our eighth first son of the first son, and, my, and his son is the ninth first son of the first son. And our, our line is, is pretty much defunct, except for this little stream here, which I was, I was really assuming was over. Uh, and then we get a son, and we kind of look at each other. Well, at the hospital, um, after Cammie was sorted and she's uh, taken back to rest, I went downstairs, and there's a little chapel. And I thought, well, I'd go in and pray. I couldn't pray. All I could do is just say thank you repeatedly, and I was getting frustrated with myself, actually, because uh, at that time, I, I think I may have been a more prideful individual and thought I ought to be able to pull this off, but that's, and I, I even had to stop saying thank you because I couldn't even say that, but God got the message, so. I wrote a paper on when words are not enough, several pages on that very thing. I bet it's good reading, but I'm, I will tell you this, I'm not surprised you wrote a paper, because... This, this man can produce. Well, he has wisdom. It's got to overflow. But add, uh, the comforter, the paraclete, the one to walk alongside, to share your load, the one to speak for you. No wonder then that verse 27 comes right after. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Most often given command uh, out of the lips of Jesus Christ is don't be afraid. Fear not, I got this. I really think that's what's going on when Paul says that he asked for three times for a thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. 
I do not believe that that was a physical eye illness. I've heard that story. I just don't think that works with the language that he is using and the context. I think Paul had a sin issue. I don't know what it was, but he could not get it removed. And so God comes to him and says, I got this. You're all right. My grace is sufficient for you. I will cover you with grace. And Jesus is saying the same thing to them. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle on this road. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you a peace that's not like the world gives to you. Now, Brother Lemons, there are two ways I've heard that preached. One, the kind of peace Jesus gives us is not what the world says when it says peace. And two, I've heard what he was saying was, I don't give you peace and then take it back. Do you have a preference? The word irene can mean either one, really. Okay. Um, and so it depends upon the context principally. But, uh, but I believe that this is a spiritual gift. I do that, believe that. And incidentally, that other thing, I heard a, a, a person, an expected one, one day talking about that very thing about Paul's, the main burden he carried. And that person said, it's the cries of the Christians he was killing. He can never wow. get that out of his heart. That, that would be legitimate, right? Um, and he, he also said his sins were ever with them. I mean, it's just, uh, even though he knew they were forgiven, right? Well, I hadn't thought of that one. I'm going to stand here and think for a while until 11.45. No, I better. Incidentally, these chapters uh, 14, 15, and 16 are the most unique chapters in the Bible. Uh, he's preparing his disciples for his departure. And it's what I call the amazing inversion of roles. Jesus had been on this planet since verse 2 of Genesis 1. The Holy Spirit empowered him, but in the presence of the Father. And so at his ascension, eight days then, the three of them, they have a party. Like they did, he's saying it in our words. But then Jesus, as he goes to the right hand of the Father for three reasons, and then the Holy Spirit comes to earth on Pentecost, that's the first time he's ever been on earth in that manner. And we just don't, I had not appreciated Pentecost as much as I do now because of that. There's certainly an inbreaking there that changes. I call it uh, Acts 2 a hinge point in history because everything swings there. Uh, before Acts 2, every mention of the kingdom is in future. After, it's in present. Uh, that the church, the kingdom is with us. It's already here. Eternal life is already a gift. It's not spoken of as a future gift. Peace I leave with you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Uh, I, there are so many preacher stories to, to illustrate this. I think of the one where um, back in the day, before you had air conditioning, you had what we used to call 460 air conditioning in your cars. You'd roll down four windows and drive 60 miles an hour. Um, the story is told, and it's just a story, that they're, they're driving along and a bee comes into the car. Those of us in those days, remember this, these things did happen. Uh, and a child in the back seat is deathly allergic to bee stings. If they get stung, they die. And so they begin to panic as a bee flies around and people are trying to wave it out, but it doesn't want to go out. Finally, the dad says, don't be afraid, I got it, I got it, I got it. He had grabbed it and let it sting him. 
and then let him loose. He said, I, I got it. He took the hit for his child. God took the hit for us. And he says, you just, I got this. It's all right. I got this. That's one of the hardest things it is, is to give God what he's got. Just let him take it. He's got this. It's going to be all right. Um, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I think that's a big ask at this point, don't you? I'm going away. I want you guys to be happy about it because I'm going home. That is hard, though. It, it's hard for them. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. That's actually really brilliant. You know, lay it, make sure they get it. By the way, you said 14, 15, 16, very remarkable passage. I agree. And I think it's one of the reasons that John wrote his book is because the others didn't put this in. And if John dies and takes the stories with him, that's why he puts in stories that the others do not put in. I mean, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic. Most of the stories in one are in at least one, if not both, of the other. John, completely unique. Throws, all of his miracles are different as well. The miracles in John are not speed and time, but creative. Something was not and is now creative. And you can go through there and see what I mean by that. So again, showing more sides of Jesus before John goes away. And he wanted us to have this. I, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let's leave. The sermon will continue. The prince of the world is coming. It makes me run right back to Daniel. Yes. In the book of Daniel, if you remember, Daniel is reading a copy uh, of, of Jeremiah, and he sees that they're supposed, if they repent, the captivity is supposed to last 70 years. Well, Daniel can read a calendar, and he knows that they're, they're bumping up against it, and his people have shown no signs of repentance. So he goes out some ways, either physically or spiritually, he takes a journey out by the river and prays 21 days before the angel shows up. When the angel shows up, Daniel faints. The angel's presence is so powerful, he drops. He says, like a man dead. But the angel's saying, get up, we don't have much time. I find that fascinating. Daniel gets up, he says, I'm gonna tell you some things you've got to know, and we're gonna do this quick. And Daniel looks, and across the river are angels known as watchers that are guarding the conversation. Why? This angel says, I was fighting this prince over that nation, and I was trying, from the day you started praying, I've been trying to get to you. But I couldn't get loose until Michael came to take my spot so I could come talk to you, and now I've got to get back. Wow. What's going on in the heavenlies is mind-boggling. When we say in the heavenlies, that's not up there somewhere because that does not apply. Spatial terms do not apply in the heavenlies. Plus, remember, again, Mr. Science has talked to you about this, especially when we did the, the thin place of birth. 
we are 99% space. There's, if you ever look at a drawing of an atom, it's a drawing, it's not exact. That's a lot of space, not much real estate. Therefore, it's happening in us, around us, through us. And we don't notice, and they may not notice us for all I know, but the battles are real and long-lasting. I often wonder how long the angels held back the prince of this world before God said, step aside, let him through. Patrick, uh, if this is a, one of the most amazing statements when this Gabriel, the spokesman, says to Daniel, in heaven you are highly esteemed. Your voice is, and 21 days. And um, did you know that uh, he, when he brought Michael to help break through that political evil power over that nation, every nation has a political power behind them. And not only that, but he closes in by saying, I'm going out and fight this battle, and then I will fight Greece later. That's the only verse in the Bible that tells us spiritual warfare is continual. That's 200 years down the road before that would happen. But yeah. isn't that amazing? Yeah, they knew that battle was coming, and they were already marshalling forces and moving things in the heavenlies. Um, Another thing is on this prince, uh, that he has no hold on me. In order for Jesus to learn obedience to the things that he suffered, simply meant that he could have relented, but he did not right. to the Satan. The, well, and that reminds me of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, the people who don't have his best interest at heart, I don't want to do all the backstory because it kind of sucks up. Read Nehemiah. But chapter 6, uh, they come up to him and they said, you've got to, you've got to hide yourself because these enemies are coming. Now, he knew that they did not have his best interest in heart. They'd tried a couple of things before. But they were accurate. The enemy was coming. Nehemiah's response was, shall a man like me run? Oh, I love that one. I, I can almost hear the good, the bad, and the ugly whistle behind him. You know, that, that whole, and, and if I could do it, I would do it right here, but I can't. I, I know, and it's not pretty. The, um, that whole staring down, the, uh, the, the, as we're going to do the quick draw right here, he says, uh, I don't run. Now, again, I don't even know what the subject was, but Margaret Thatcher, when we were um, living in Scotland, she was, um, when Cammie and I were together there, she was uh, the prime minister. And she was, uh, question time in the parliament's a lot of fun. I don't know why you guys don't do it here. It's just, it's a hoot. Uh, they're going back and forth. And I, again, I have no idea what the subject was, but they wanted her to back up and change things. And her phrase became famous. She said, the lady is not for turning. And I thought of Nehemiah 6. And I think of here. When somebody just says, or Martin Luther, here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. This is what you got. You know, I'm, I can remember when my son was dating, the, late, the girl he later married, fantastic young lady. We were all downstairs in our little house there in Lake Orion, Michigan, uh, and there was a noise that was not a, a proper noise outside. It was one of those, what's that? As soon as it hit, I'm out of my chair, he's out of his chair, we're hitting the stairs going upstairs. 
We check things out, everything's okay. We come back down and she just looks at him, looks over at me like, who are you people? Why, why would you do this? And Duncan looked and said, well, why would you not? We, we wanted to go take care of whatever's there. She said, are you paranoid? He says, no, but we're alive. You know, I said, okay. And he, Duncan has always been rather quick on this. I, I remember that I was talking to Cammie the other night. He woke me up one night. Now, Duncan doesn't do that, but he woke me up. I said, what? And he goes, da, there's some people outside around the cars. And we'd had cars break in and such. So I went, okay. So I'm rolling out trying to find trousers. He's already halfway down the stairs. We're walking out. I don't advise this. He just walks out and with a shotgun. I'm going, I was not expecting uh, us to exchange fire over a Hyundai. Um, <laughs> Cadillac, maybe. But anyway, um, and, and they went running and they were caught later. And I, you know, I had to talk to him about we don't shoot people over stuff. And it, I could tell in it, he didn't say it, but I could tell in here, you don't shoot people over just <laughs> 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 I don't think I ever really got through to him on that one. But as um, one of his favorite commercials, uh, and it's out of rotation now, I believe, had um, some people, you see them running in uniform, and it says, some people run to the sounds of guns. Well, that was, and I think of Nehemiah. He grew up with stories of Nehemiah and of Jesus, of saying, I know the trouble's coming. I know pain's coming. I know death is coming. I'm not backing up. I found out later during boot camp, they actually got to see a movie. And it was the movie on, about the Spartans um, that, was put, that was popular at that time at Thermopylae. And the whole idea was, we don't back up. We die where we stand or we win. But you don't back up. And I, I'm glad we didn't know that story at that time. But I love this. Jesus saying, he's got no hold over me. How can the devil have hold over you? Oh my goodness. I think it's mainly through fear. He can play with you through fear. Oh, what'll happen if this? What'll happen if that? Jesus is saying, I'm not afraid. I don't feel obligated to run away from the devil. Here I stand. Go ahead, please. Yes. That, uh, by the last, way, uh, Albert, you are so sweet and kind to kind of like move the mic. You can just butt in. No. You, you have seniority, right? The last line there in 14, that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And in 12, 49, and 50 of this book, he says, and I speak exactly what he says, and he told me what to say and how to say it. Isn't that interesting? It, it, it is. And that actually backs up Hebrews chapter 1. What Jesus said is what God said. That's why I told you, it, it, don't forget to, to at least give this a try. If you don't want to do all four Gospels, pick one, but do all four. And go through and read it, substituting God's name or the Father or some, for Jesus in the actions and speeches. And see if that doesn't do a little quantum shift in your head about the way you have been thinking about the Father. It is such a necessary create, uh, corrective to the image that many of us got. Uh, we do have time. Good. Now, they've, they've moved on. Here is now a, um, an amazing 
he, he just goes, 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 goes. You know, I'm the true vine. And we looked at this a few weeks ago, but I just want to, I am the true vine. My father's a gardener. I was told growing up that the fruit that we bear is other souls. So we had to invite people to church and have Bible studies in their home. I'm not knocking inviting people and having Bible studies in homes. That would, of course, that would be a fantastic thing. But the fruit means I want you to look like the vine. Look like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Since we looked at this briefly a couple of weeks ago, I want to I move to verse 9. As my father's loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands. You remember when we looked at this? And what is my command? Verse 12 is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And I brought this up at that time. Uh, I've never been to Normandy, and I would very much like to go. As far as I know, none of my relatives died there. Um, in World War I, my relatives were all over uh, Europe. And again, I, I can't say with certainty, I think all my relatives in World War II were in the Pacific Theater. But I don't know of anybody on that landing. But this week is the 75th uh, anniversary of that landing. When you read what boys, uh, 18 and 19 year old boys did and went through on that beach, I'm not sure I could handle it. I, I think I would be overwhelmed knowing too much what the rangers had to make up and build on the beaches to survive the, and while they're watching everybody else being machine gunned around them. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm not, go read. They literally had to invent ways to shoot and to climb while they're being shot at. And then Mad Bell, and if you ever watched The Longest Day, that scene everybody thinks is made up, it was not made up. In World War II, uh, the British Admiralty, the, the, the people in charge of the military, had said, no more playing of bagpipes. It gives us away. <laughs> oh, he said, well, there weren't special forces playing it, but no, no more playing the bagpipes because it was just unnecessary, draws fire. On D-Day, one of the men, call, one of the officers called up his piper and says, I need you to play. And he stood there on the beach and played all day. He died just a few years ago. He was known for the rest of his life as, as Mad Bill. But a, a true Scottish hero stood there all day long playing the pipes to encourage the Scots coming off. The, and it worked. But you can find that scene in The Longest Day. And, and you have Sean Connery doing a terrible Irish accent. And I'm thinking, it's 40 miles. Go over there and learn. But, um, you know, making fun of him, saying, you know, that Egypt, um, which is what you would call an idiot. Anyway, love, greater love hath no man to lay down one's life for one's friends. When, um, I've never come under fire, so everything I know here, I'm learning from others. They tell me that as soon as the first bullet flies, you don't fight for flag and country. You fight for the person beside you. Oh, please. Earlier in, this, in 15, you're so right. There are two words there in four 
remain in me and I will remain in you. That is very okay, 15 simple. verse 4. Okay, I was I, I missed 15 and 4. Yes, in 15 4. Okay. Uh-huh. That is so significant. There's very, very much involved right there. Um, it's one thing to begin. It's another thing to see the issue all the way through. And these are interesting Greek words right here. And he said, you remain in me and I will remain in you. And anyway. No, no, I, I, think, you're, I think you're brilliant. One of, the, um, one of the worst things we ever did was to emphasize baptism more than emphasize a Christian life. Amen, amen. And I was asked years and years ago what I thought the biggest problem in the church was, and back then, I would answer, I don't do that stuff anymore, I just don't. But my response was, I think we, are f- we have church buildings full of unrepentant people. They, we won the argument on baptism with them. It's like, oh, okay. But then we didn't talk to them about remaining in Christ and what that meant about living in Christ and being in Christ and being surrounded by Christ. And because of that, we ended up with people that kept the jot and tittle but as, and strained at gnats. But as Jesus said about the Pharisees, they had swallowed a camel. They had, they had missed the important things. Um, so love. And I love it where he says, I, I, I'm not calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. Go bear fruit. Love one this. And again, verse 17, this is my command, love one another. You need to know this because some people are going to say, Jesus said, if you love me, you got to keep my commands. And then they're going to talk about all kinds of things about worship and doctrine. No, Jesus defined what he meant. Verse 12, verse 17, this is what I command love one another. Um, Patrick, may I point out that this is agape love, not phileo love, and there's a big difference there. Yes. And uh, that, of course, is uh, the result of the Holy Spirit living in us. Uh, That means that, you know... By the way, I I wanted you in the car yesterday because I almost started to talk about agape love to a (laughs) three-year-old. I aborted that that conversation. (laughs) Just going, all right, pull up, pull up. <laughs> Can't do that one. You know, how to explain we, God can love you without liking what you do. That's right. That's right. Uh, I love the Paul Thorne song. If you don't know Paul Thorne, one of the greatest uh, songwriters and an interesting character. Uh, he shows up around here from time to time, Ryman and also the, the Franklin Theater. But he has a, a song entitled, I Don't Like Half the Folk I Love. And I'm going, I love that song. (laughs) So I'm going to have to teach that to the three-year-old, and we can work off of there. Um, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Um, Spoiler alert, it hates you. If you will not fall in line, it's going to hate you. Now, I don't mean to be, you know, a downer here. Just don't be surprised when it comes back at you. I, I... I'm not afraid to retweet stuff on uh, abortion because I'm pro-life and I, I'm very, uh, it, it matters to me that some states in our union are applauding infanticide and that's really what it is. If you look at New York Assembly, what they did, um, Illinois almost so, they'll let, they'll let the baby be born except for the head and then uh, suck its brains out to kill it. 
and people applauded. No. That's worshiping Molech. That's right. That is, that is wrong. But as soon as you do anything like that, you get a bundle of hate coming, coming your way. Social media does not allow you to differ. Uh, you will, you know, we will enforce diversity <laughs> until we all think the same thing. Yes, John. And by the way, welcome back, John. He had to come back to pick up his sister, so he came early to go to church with us. So we're glad to have you. Right. Persecution is part of the package. Uh, hey, alliteration. Um, it, it has always been part of the... And, and most of what, if, if I may be so bold, most of what Americans call persecution is not. That's right. You know, Target decides not to put Salvation Army bell ringers outside. And people go, ah! Or somebody says, you know, happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. We go, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. Go talk to the Coptic Christians in Egypt. That's right. Go talk to the almost extinct Christian and Jewish groups in Iraq now that were actually doing better before the war. That's a very complicated story. Um, well, go talk to them. Go talk to the Christians in Nigeria who are being slaughtered by the hundreds. And it doesn't even make our news. There is a problem in who's, who makes the news. And I'm sorry, but the fact is, if it's a pretty, uh, let's just say, I'm not picking on color, a, a, a pretty blonde girl goes missing, it makes the news. A young black girl, a young black boy goes missing, it does not. Someone gets shot in, in France, sometimes it makes our news. Nigeria, so rare. We do have a system, systemic issue. That we need, to, you know, how many people put up, I am, I am France, you know, I am, um, je suis Charlie, you know, back during uh, that Charlie Hebdo uh, killing, but we don't put up, I am Nigeria, you know, I am Ghana, I am, it's, I don't mean to be so mean to people, but it, it just makes me hurt, you know, other, we need, we need to be aware, Christians are going down all over the world, and it's not, you're not being persecuted here. If you can't be a Christian in America, you can't be a Christian. More Christians have been killed in the last hundred years than in the first 300 years. Yeah, that's, I, I've seen that, and I have no reason to doubt. There are, there are watchdog groups, that, and they say Christian persecution against Christians has ticked up worldwide. Um, and I think one of the reasons is we don't really think about it or do anything. Plus, the fact is we never got over there, as you've heard me say so many times, you either... You will meet the nations. You can choose to meet them over bread and Bibles, or you're going to meet them with bayonets and bombs. 
But if you don't take Jesus to them, don't be surprised that that's not what they bring to you. It's, it's our failure. And I think we have to acknowledge that on our knees with tears that God's given us 2,000 years to go into all the world and we have a hard time going next door. Patrick, it's not very far from our country. It's well, not very yeah. far from this country. Uh, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, I have no idea how to be a prophet of that, but I think, I think we can see some, some very disturbing things. Yes. Tim. Uh, yes. Repentance is huge. It is, a, as C.S. Lewis put it, hard as nails. And we tend, we tend to gloss over it. I think it was last week I talked about Charles Hodge, not the worldwide known theologian, but the long-term, quite popular Church of Christ minister out of Duncanville, Texas. And would, remember I told you at a men's retreat, he taught us uh, the way we tend to look at sin is your, your dirt's dirty, mine isn't. You know, your sins are horrible, mine are completely understandable. You know, I can explain. Yeah, that's, you see, and he's saying we, we've got to back up and realize the horror of our sin. Um, but Jesus wants you to know you're, it's a sign you're, you may be on the right thing. When all hell breaks loose, it might be the sign you're doing something right. All right, remember Job. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Isn't that true? Amen. If people understood who Jesus was, I think they'd like him a lot more. I found that true talking to Muslim people. The more I talk about Jesus stories, the more open they are. And the more friendly they are. Because Jesus' stories are really amazing. And they matter. Uh, and you know, when I... Right, how can I put this? Oh, look at the time. Um, usually when I would throw a Jesus story back to a Muslim, it's because they found something that Paul said that they want to argue about. And I'll say, let's go back to the one Paul serves and talk with that. And I found that that, and, and they don't look upon that as a dodge, it's not a dodge. They understand, let's go back to the root. And then we're gonna go from there, and maybe we can understand what Paul was doing, but only after we understand the story that was moving Paul. Can't believe it's time, but it's time. <laughs>